Amen. I don't know if anybody else has found it hard to stay um, encouraged, to stay positive during this last year that we call COVID. And uh, as of today, you know, there are 131 million confirmed cases in the world, 2.9 million deaths, 23,000 in Canada alone. And, you know, before the pandemic, the economy is red hot. Um, NAC is growing. Some of you are, were booking your summer vacation plans. And then suddenly, the world's emergency break. And uh, let alone Ontario, I mean the whole world. And almost everything comes to a grinding halt. And I wonder if you ever have these moments like I do of just this surreal haze of like, is this, is this really still happening And here we are with all our entrepreneurial and scientific and financial and technological advances, and we can't come close to protecting the incredible fragility, the vulnerability of of life on planet Earth. Anybody else realizing that maybe we're not as in control as, as we thought we were? Yeah. Maybe some of us are are realizing even now just how fragile it all is. The global economy, our our supply chains, our hospital beds, and our relationships have been stretched, I think, to say the least. And thank God for Zoom and for live streams, but at the same time, man, it just, it ain't the same. It's like, it's like this virus is poking holes in every life draft of every system that we've grown to depend on. And for many, maybe for some of you watching or here in this room, despair has set in. And maybe you've been quietly asking yourself questions like, have I trusted in the wrong things in this life? Are are the instructions I've trusted in, the, the institutions I've built my life around, are, are those foundations solid enough to withstand a global pandemic? Maybe some of you have been forced to even wrestle with the ultimate existential question. What if I die? Am I ready? And, and if you don't want to wrestle with those heavy questions, and frankly, most of us don't, then we have soothed ourselves with distraction. You know, we've been watching Tiger King and WandaVision. Listen, we'll defeat this virus, okay? We'll get on the other side of it, but what will we look like on the other side of it? Who will we be? Today, we're actually celebrating. It's the day Christians have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus for 2,000 years. Over 2 billion Christians believe that Jesus is the one who came to give the world unshakable hope. But in a year of corona and QAnon and record high unemployment, does, does the resurrection still provide hope in 2021? Has your hope been kind of snuffed out? in this weird year. I want to share three reasons why you ought to have hope today. Resurrection hope. And for some of you, this is going to be new information. For most of you, 
you need reminding today. You know, sometimes the role of the pastor is to be the CRO, the chief reminding officer. And I'm going I'm to remind you of the hope you have specifically because of this day, specifically because we can say, he is risen. Amen. Now, the problem even with the word hope is kind of like the problem with our English word for peace. You know, peace is a very weak English word for conveying the Hebrew word shalom. You know, our word peace is kind of understood as like an absence of hostility, you know, a lack of conflict. And shalom means full flourishing, right? And lately you'll hear more people using the, 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 the word shalom in its proper sense, um, something greater than what we understand as, as peace. Well, the English word hope it doesn't really get across the Greek and Hebrew word at all. Like, because our word hope seems to mean what? Thank you. Peter, you should be up here, brother. Our word hope means I hope so. You know, uh, actually, ironically, kind of understood as uncertainty, you know, optimistic uncertainty. That's what hope is. And, and, but if you look up, you know, any 10 places in the Bible where hope is used, it actually means assurance. It actually means proper confidence, right? Another way to put it, um, proper confidence and assurance in something that can't be proved. And part of the assurance entails that, uh, yes, it actually makes sense rationally, but it's also a, a spiritual gift, something like faith that God can trigger in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so our hope in the resurrection is not, mm, I hope so, right? My hope in the resurrection is proper confidence. It's an assurance, which is, is to say not only is the resurrection something that can appeal to the logical mind, the rational mind, the cognitive side of our, of our humanity, the resurrection actually happened, folks. N.T. Wright makes the case that the resurrection is as secure a historical fact as, as any historical fact of ancient times can be uh, sure. Like there's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is for the, the death of Claudius, for instance, you know? It's, it's historically indisputable. So there's a rational aspect of the resurrection that is, is helpful in affirming uh, this supernatural event. The other evidence of hope, though, is that through prayer and intimacy and worship to God, um, it, it's, it's, the, it's less of an abstraction that God becomes. The more I know that I know that I know that he is here, the more intuitive it is. It's more maybe art than science. And you could say, though, that it's equally as, as real. You know, um, technically, the philosophers would, would say to you, like, when you look out your front yard and you see a tree, and you say, there's a tree in my yard. According to the philosophers, what you're actually doing there is an act of faith. What you should precisely be saying is, I perceive there's a tree in my front yard, but I can't prove it because, you know, I might be in the matrix. 
your cognitive faculties may not be working. You might be crazy for all you know. And uh, which is their way of saying that belief in your cognitive faculties, your memories, your senses is technically faith. Now, we don't say, I perceive there's a tree in my front yard. Why? Because we have assurance that the tree's there, even though we can't philosophically prove it. You've, you've got assurance, though. You're, you're really not in any doubt. Folks, this morning, you can have that same assurance in the resurrection, even though maybe you can't prove it to rational people. And if the resurrection is just, as some people like to say, you know, kind of a spiritual metaphor, not a literal bodily resurrection, more like he rose in sort of this analogous fashion. I don't know about you, but that does nothing for me. Um, That should really do nothing for you. That's not inspiring. That is not hope. And for those of you possibly facing the reality of death, that is not consolation. The thing that makes life meaningful to human beings is, is love. Tim Keller sort of illuminated this to me. At the end of your life, no one is going to say, gosh, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I, what they probably might say is, I wish I had done a better job of being a friend or a spouse or a, a parent. It's really, it's love that makes life meaningful. So when people tell me, um, well, when people die, it's just over, and there's nothing to be afraid of. And I think, so what you're telling me is that death means the end of love? And, and you're telling me not to dread that? Give me a break. I, if I know there is love on the other side of death, I can face it. And if I know there is infinitely greater love than I can imagine, I can really face it. And if the resurrection is just sort of a spiritual, you know, metaphor, sort of a phoenix rising type mythology, that's not the kind of hope that I'm looking for. The resurrection of Jesus offers us something tangible. I want you to know, first of all, that the resurrection of Jesus offers us God's peace. Here's what John says. Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus talking. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Think about all the ways, you know, that we have tried to find peace peace amongst the virus. And and again, I mean that in the full definition of the word, you know, full human flourishing. We've looked for it financially, you know, in work and investments. We've looked for it in our retirement planning, in our family, in our relationships, in our health, working out, yoga, in our recreation, in our travel. All these things are good, but Trust me, if you wait long enough, they won't lead to real peace, lasting 
peace. We can sometimes feel, you know, a little bit of peace lying on the beach in Waikiki with a frosty beverage in our hand. And, but that kind of only lasts as long as the vacation lasts. And in these two verses, as Jesus talks about peace, he reminds us of the reality we are living in. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So if peace just means the absence of conflict and hostility, you know, Jesus would have changed that to say something like, in this world, I'll take away your trouble. That's not what he says. Some of y'all wish that's what he'd say. But I'm learning that Jesus actually offers something even better, if you can believe it. Jesus offers us lasting peace, shalom, in the midst of our troubles. His peace is a peace during the storms of life and peace during the battles that we face. This is why Jesus can also say, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid because the prince of peace offers us his own peace. He's offering himself. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And he says, in me, you may have peace. So true peace, real peace, according to Jesus, only comes from him, the peace giver. And that kind of peace is an antidote to our fears and our anxieties. It's the kind of peace that does not you know, depend on our circumstances. It's a peace that's accessible whenever you need it. The problem is most people want peace just without the Prince of Peace. And it doesn't work that way. We can live with unshakable hope because Jesus gives us his peace. It's an important distinction. You know, notice Jesus didn't say, have courage, I have overcome the world, and hey, you can too. That that would not be good news, actually. It would be like me, you know, in in talking hockey in the locker room with Connor McDavid after he just had another sort of hat trick night. And he says to me, you know, Jonathan, I know you're 47, 48, ugh, and... uh, and you can't skate that well. In fact, I, I know you that you have to use the boards to stop yourself. And uh, you've never even really pr- played rec league hockey. Um, but listen, if I can get a hat trick in the NHL, I know you can too. And I'd be like, oh, th- thank you. And I'm a huge fan. But you're dumb. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus says... You can live with unshakable hope because I have overcome the world. I've defeated sin and death and any and all things that were impeding my relationship with you. His victory is our victory, praise God. His peace is our peace. It's like being on the team when when Connor takes a penalty shot, right? He says, don't worry. I'll I'll take the shot for our team. But the victory is ours still. Jesus says, if you want peace, join my team. And let my victory be your victory. Have you discovered peace in the midst of the crisis? He offers it to you. 
the resurrection of Jesus offers you God's peace. You know what else? The resurrection of Jesus offers you God's presence after his resurrection and just before his ascension into heaven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, if you go back to the very first chapter in Matthew, we learn that there was another name, another title for Jesus. It was Emmanuel. Emmanuel means very good. God with us. So if you look through the entire Bible, God with us is really one of the primary themes. In fact, I'm going to summarize the entire Bible for you in 60 seconds. Are you ready? Um, Some of you are thinking, yay, now I don't need to read it. No, that's not what I said. Okay, here goes. The Bible in 60 seconds. From the very beginning of time, God made a way to be with his people. You know, after God created the universe and everything in it, um, there was Adam and Eve in the garden. God and humans living together in just perfect fellowship. But humans rebelled against God. They rejected his rule. And so God removed them from his presence. But there was this promise even still. And the promise was that through a a child, peace would come, true peace. And throughout the rest of God's story, what do we see? We see his attempt over and over again to be with his people. After the garden, God was with his people through a special uh, covenantal relationship. The Ten Commandments were given as part of that Old Testament sacrificial system was set up so that God could be with his people. And even as Israel you know, roamed around the desert, God was with them in the tabernacle and in a portable tent where God's presence was. He was with them in a cloud by day and fire by night. And then um, he gave them the kings and he gave them the judges. And centuries later, God, through Solomon, built a mighty temple, a place where God could live with his people again. And all these events were kind of a shadow of things to come where God himself would actually put on flesh and live among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God with us. So if you want to know who God is and what he's like, Christianity says you look to Jesus. And and so through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus offers us his presence forever. He says, give me all your sin and I'll give you all my presence And we'll call it even. Jesus came to our place. He took our place by dying on a cross. And now he invites us to his place, to heaven. And it's another offer, an offer of ultimate presence. And check this out. Uh, Jesus ascended to heaven, but he gave us the Holy Spirit his tangible presence for us. Norm was talking this morning about that tangible presence of Jesus in him through the Holy Spirit. For the, for the Christian this morning, you can have that very real 
presence in you via the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, you may be asking yourself, why? Why in the world would God want to be with me? Is it so he can kind of look over my shoulder and scold me every time I mess up? No. He just loves you. He just loves you. That's it. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And so the resurrection of Jesus offers you God's peace. The resurrection offers you God's presence. And the third reason that we can have hope today through the resurrection is because it actually offers us God's power. This is, this is what Ephesians says. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The, the problem with religion or self-help is, is that you are told to do a lot of things without any power to do them, right? Some of you have found out that willpower ain't that much power at all. Like, you say you're on a diet, but you're just going to finish this bag of Sour Patch Kids, all right? You notice we make our worst decisions at night. Scientifically, we're finding out that we actually run out of willpower, The Dorito crumbs in my bed will testify to this, folks. (laughs) What sets Christianity apart is that you are given the power to live out what God has asked you to do. It's quite remarkable, actually. Wait, you mean the same power that was given to Jesus is available to us? Yeah. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this verse and others like it, used this ancient Greek word for power, dunamis. And it's the, it's the root word for our word, dynamite. Paul says that because of the resurrection, you have this power available to you, explosive power. It's like, it's like dynamite, power that can heal, power over that evil that plagues you, power that can you know, literally change the atmosphere as you walk into a room and you bring Jesus into that situation. In fact, through Jesus' resurrection, we share in his power over death itself. But, you know, to receive it, you need to receive it from God, who is the, the author of that power. You know, David Jeremiah uh, it shares this story of, about a, a Welsh woman years ago who was the first in her small village to have electric lines run to her home. You know, it was a costly installation back then, and, but she felt like it was worth the expense. And so a month later, the meter reader comes out, and to his surprise, he, he saw that she barely used any electricity, and he asked her, like, are you not using any electricity, any power in your house? And she said, I certainly am using electric power. I, every night, I, I turn it on long enough so that I can light my kerosene lamps. It sounds familiar to me because we have the ability to plug in to the power of God, you know, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that can be in us. 
but we seldom use it, you know? And when we do use it, we lean on it just enough to kind of light our own lamp and then disconnect and we rely on our own power, the power of the flesh, you know? And then we go trying to make things happen on our own strength. I spend too much of my life relying on my own might, on my own power, just enough to kind of light my own lantern. When I think of what God's power does in our lives, I can't help but think of some of the people in this church. You know, I think of the, the addicts who have found freedom from addiction because they've relied on God's power to help them. I think of the single moms who are raising their kids on their own and they've said things to me like, I couldn't have done this without Jesus. Um, those grieving for a loved one who have found comfort in God and power to get out of bed in the morning, people who have long-term illness and sickness, disability, who, who sense the palpable presence and comfort and friendship of knowing Jesus. God's peace, God's presence, God's power, they're all available to you today. How are they available? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus offers you unshakable hope. Let me just end by being very clear how to get this hope. The good news of Christianity or what we call the gospel is this. You are worse than you think. And you are more loved by God than you could possibly imagine. The good news kind of begins with bad news, actually. That you are not just a bad person. You are actually spiritually dead in your sins. The Bible says that you are living in a kingdom of darkness. You are not in relationship with God. You are actually an enemy of God. And the good news is that Jesus Christ didn't come to kind of improve you by 10 or 15% to make you a slightly better person by a matter of degrees. Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. Amen? And he came to cancel the debt that you owed God. And he came to bring you out of darkness and into light. And he came to transform your life and give you this unshakable hope. And so... How do you want to respond to this invitation? There are typically three ways that we respond. You know, some are fans of Jesus, right? Jesus had a lot of fans. He attracted huge crowds. Kind of a lot of them safely at a distance, checking out the show. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's quite another thing to trust and follow him. And make him the Lord of your life. Maybe you're a fan of Jesus today. Kind of from a safe distance. I know many in Canada are proud and they outright reject Jesus. They don't want someone to interfere with their lives. They want to stay in control. I think the GTA is full of people who say, 
Why would I need a savior? I don't need saving from anything. And if that is you, what more can God do to, to show you his love? What will it take for God to humble us? The, the virus, even though it didn't come from God, it's humbling. It is reminding us that life is short and it's fragile. The only appropriate way to respond to Jesus, especially on Easter, is to trust him and follow him. You're not, you're not becoming religious, okay? You're not becoming a churchgoer or some evangelical. Jesus is simply saying, follow me to receive my peace and my presence and my power to live with unshakable hope. What about you? How will you respond to his generous invitation today? I wonder if you just close your eyes. And I'm going to just ask the question. I'm asking those who are watching. And nobody's going to be on TV, rest assured. Okay, the camera's on me. Um, But I just wonder if there's anybody who would say, just with a a quick sign of their hand, that I I want this unshakable hope. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Was there anybody who would just quickly raise their hand and say, uh, I want eternal life. I want to live as a follower of Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. I just want to know if anybody would respond. Those of you who are watching at home, I wonder if you would just respond even under your breath and you might say something like this. Jesus, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I want to put my trust in you. I want to put my life in your hands. I want that power, that presence, that peace that only comes from from trusting in you. When you say something like that and mean it, you all of a sudden become part of this family of two billion Christians who, who are followers of Jesus, who will spend eternity with him. And it says that the angels actually throw a party. That's the Jonathan translation. But it says that there's great rejoicing that happens in heaven. There was a glorious day 2,000 years ago when the grave was open and Jesus forever defeated death. But there can be a glorious day today when the angels celebrate and say, praise God, somebody else joined the family. You can do that today. Hey, let's celebrate. Will you stand with me as we close our service?